So we uh, we began we began this year where the biblical story begins. Genesis. Uh, in the beginning, we talked about how Genesis introduces us to important themes and ideas that repeat themselves throughout the rest of the story. We said that sometimes we want Genesis to do things that it was not designed to do, but that when we read it on its own terms, it does beautiful work introducing us to God worthy of worship and trust and to the nature and purpose of of human beings. This is God. This is us. And so in the first week, we saw how the creation story introduces us to a creator God who creates by being personally present in the chaos to bring about order and beauty and purpose. Uh, The next week, we saw how Genesis introduces human beings as created in God's image, representatives designed to reflect God's nature, partners with God to bring about more order and beauty, uh, to rule the world, steward the world on God's behalf. Then we looked at how Genesis reveals God to be fundamentally relational, existing eternally as a perfect relationship and desiring to be in relationship with what God made. The following week, we talked about how if God is fundamentally relational and we are created in the image of God, then we, as human beings, are relational creatures as well, existing to be in relationship with God and with each other. Last week, we got to the not-as-good part when we saw how Genesis describes the brokenness of the human condition and our rebellion against God and choice to define good and evil for ourselves apart from God. But we left, if you remember, we left something hanging. Though we are broken, we are not broken beyond repair. And today, in this last sermon of this series, we get to the beginning of God's answer for our brokenness. As Genesis says, this is God a great rescuer. Let us pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there, that it would grow us and transform us, that we might live for you and bear fruit for your kingdom. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. This morning's reading uh, will come from uh, Genesis, uh, from the third chapter beginning with um, the sixth verse. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? 
woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. It was a, a sad, rather confusing day 11 and a half years ago when a copper mine in Chile collapsed on August 9, 2010, trapping 33 workers underground. Do you all remember this? It was inter big international news. These workers desperately needed to be rescued, and so a two-month rescue operation followed. Rescue workers began by trying to make contact with the the trapped miners by drilling exploratory holes through which they sent listening probes. And on August 23rd, one of the probes detected tapping sound. And when it was drawn up to the surface, a note reading, all 33 of us are alive in the shelter was attached. By August, 30, uh, by August 23rd, nutrient gel and water and communication devices had been fed through the, the holes to the men. And in order to in, ensure uh, the survival of the workers, a whole unit of experts from um, mental health specialists to NASA scientists was brought to the site. As the days progressed, food was passed uh, through the channel, as were first aid supplies and exercise routines and, and lighting devices. And then three separate Boring drills, giant boring drills were brought in by rescuers and began drilling three separate or different shafts called Plan A and Plan B and Plan C to try to get to the miners 700 meters down. Finally, on October 9th, the drill called Plan B completed a tunnel connecting to an accessible chamber. And two days later, the top 295 feet of the 2,100-foot shaft had been lined with metal tubing in preparation for the ascent uh, of the men in a specially designed uh, tube uh, rescue capsule. Late on the night of October 12th, a rescue worker was lowered into the mine in a capsule, and just after midnight, the first miner was drawn to the surface. By late evening, the last man, a shift manager, a shift supervisor, had been rescued. It's absolutely incredible to see it as it unfolded on, on television. It was an incredible rescue. When you think about it, a rescue entails three basic things. Seeking out and going to those needing rescue. Doing something about the danger or the harm that they're in. 
And then finally, doing something about the effects of the trauma or the harm or the situation. It was a sad and uh, confusing day in the Garden of Eden, too. Seizing, seizing the fruit, seizing power and control from God meant that now human beings were left with the consequences of being able to define good and bad for ourselves apart from God. We talked about some of them last week. There's a fracturing of relationships that were once whole. There's a sense of mistrust between Adam and Eve. They hide their nakedness from each other in their shame and in their fear. They do the the same thing with God, hiding themselves away from God, the God who was used to walking with them in the middle of the garden every day. What would this creator God do now? This God who made human beings in the divine image, who entrusted the rule and care of God's world to them, this God who, was, who is fundamentally relational and wants to be in relationship with what God made. This was a, a devastating and, and tragic rebellion with ripple effects across creation. Creation included human beings. Needed rescue. Needed rescuing. And we learn so much about who God is as a rescuer and what the rest of the Bible will be about with what comes next. First, God comes seeking. First, God comes seeking. Genesis tells us that even though Adam and Eve believed a lie, disobeyed God and not trusted in God's goodness and love, even though sin entered God's good world, God shows up in the garden anyway to look for them. From the beginning of our human story, God comes looking for us. Our sin doesn't keep God from seeking after us. God cares enough to find us. We're not the first seekers. God is. God is. We're told that Adam and Eve heard the sound of God walking in the garden. God calls out, where are you? Where are you? At its core, this this question reveals God to be a seeking God, a, a missionary God even, that God notices when we've gone missing, when we try to hide, that even in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our sin, nothing keeps God from looking for us. Seeking to bring us back into right relationship. God cares where we are, no matter where we are, and comes looking for us, asking that question, hey, where are you? Oftentimes you'll hear people say or, or talk about you know, searching and finding God. And that's true, we do search for God and we do find God, but it, it, it sure seems like God searches for and finds us a lot more. The God who seeks and searches right there from the start in Genesis is the God of Psalm 139, which we read for our call to worship. Where could I go to get away from your spirit? Where could I go to escape your presence? If I went up to heaven, you would be there. If I went down to the grave, you would be there too. If I could fly on the wings of dawn, stopping only to rest the far side of the sea, even there your hand would guide me. Even there, your strong hand would hold me tight. In other words, the God who asks, where are you? And then who backs it up with an always never giving up kind of love puts no limits on God seeking and searching for us. 
Genesis reveals a God who, who looks for each and every one of us until we are found, even in our brokenness. God deeply desires to be in relationship with each of us. God chases us down. God seeks us out. God initiates things with us precisely in our brokenness because God is a rescuer. That's what rescuers do. But Genesis doesn't just show God seeking. Next, we come to this amazing and mysterious promise. God makes a future deliverance from the sin and the brokenness that plagues us. This is God as a rescuer doing something about the problem or the harm. In verse 15, God, speaking in front of Adam and Eve, but to the snake, says, I will put enmity, excuse me, enmity, that means hostility, between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He, a future offspring, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What in the world? But in the face of their brokenness, God did not destroy them, but instead revealed God's pledge of grace to them by promising a Savior, one who would restore the kingdom that had been damaged. This is introducing the hope of the gospel, the hope of the gospel already in Genesis. This is dangling the promise that one day a seed or a descendant of Eve, a human representative of God, will do something about the evil and sin represented by snake. In fact, crush it, destroy it, defeat it, but in the process will suffer wounds because of it. This introduces for the first time in the Bible the idea of a Messiah, a rescuer, and establishes a theme that runs throughout the rest of the Old Testament, through Abraham, through Judah, through Moses, through Israel's anointed kings, through the prophets, the expectation of a rescuer who would be a descendant of Adam and Eve to rescue people from their sin and restore human beings back to their place in the garden. God doing something in the history of Israel that has its genesis in a promise given in Eden. Ultimately, of course, when, when Jesus arrives on the scene from the line of David and Judah, He says He comes in to usher in God's kingdom. He's the king the people have been waiting for. But in His mission to deal with sin and brokenness and evil, He Himself is hurt. Killed on the cross by the very people He came to save. Jesus' death fulfilled God's promise that God made all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Evil had struck the Messiah's heel, but the Messiah still defeated it, rescuing all humanity. When Jesus rose from the dead, He asserted His authority over death and evil, dealing it that, that fatal blow. As a rescuer, Genesis introduces the truth and hope that God would do something about the source of our brokenness. Finally, Genesis points to God as a rescuer who preserves us in the midst of the effects of our brokenness. The Creator is also the preserver. Remember Adam and Eve with their, their newfound wisdom? They experienced fear and mistrust and shame and insecurity for the very 
first time. Genesis tells us that they made garments for themselves out of fig leaves to cover their nakedness, their, their shame. In other words, meant to be clothed in God's glory and God's love, they've now reached for fig leaves. Not only that, they hid themselves behind the garden's trees when they heard the sound of God walking in the garden. And in God's rescuing love, in God's care, God made clothes for them out of leather and dressed them. God dresses them. God covers the shame and the insecurity symbolized by their nakedness and the hastily sown fig leaf disguise. This this means that God accepts human beings for what they are as broken creatures. The love is still strong. God affirms them in their brokenness. God does not expose them to one another in their shame. Instead, God covers them. God covers them. I love what um, theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about, about this act. He says this act symbolizes divine presence even in the midst of divine judgment of having to live with the consequences of our sin. In other words, God is, God is just and offers a judgment, and the judgment is we get to live with the effects of our, of our sin. We're not going to be exempt from the consequences. If we chose to be able to define good and evil for ourselves, God gives us that, that, that ability, but we live with the effects, and that's the judgment. And so the clothes in that way are, are kind of like a confession, right? Like you're not as you, you should be. This is to remind you that you're not as you're, you should be. It's a witness to the glory that we lost. But even in the midst of having to live with the effects of a broken world, God is still divinely present with us too, as close as the clothes that we wear. In fact, God desires to clothe us in God's own righteousness through the saving work of Jesus. This act of clothing Adam and Eve is a testimony that one day God, God's own self in the person of Jesus, would make us what we should be. We don't have to walk around wearing fear, shame, and insecurity. We don't have to live in that space. God desires to clothe us in Jesus Christ and in His glory, as the Apostle Paul would say. And every day, we're invited to put on, we're invited to put on Jesus and His way of being human and let that be our wardrobe instead of a a suit of fig leaves and lies. Shame. Better clothing that God provides. We're invited to put on the new self created after the image of God in righteousness and holiness, a restored divine image in each of us. Sin and shame do not define us. God is a rescuer doing something about the effects of our dire predicament. This is who God is, Genesis says. This is who God is. And sometimes... It's enough to just be reminded and re-reminded of that. To be reminded of who God is and who we are as human beings. I don't know how this year has started out for you. I'm guessing for many of us it's still felt incredibly disorienting. As we all wonder where we are, 
with this pandemic, where we are in life, where am I? Am I who I want to be? What's going to happen next? And what about all the times I just don't feel like it? In the midst of the disorientation, in the midst of the seemingly traction-less existence right now, maybe what we need to do is just to, to go all the way back. To go back to the beginning. To go back to the beginning of the big picture. To go back to Genesis to find the core threads that weave their way not just through the biblical narrative, but through our very lives as well. Threads that even in just the first pages of the Bible remind us who we are, who we are as broken and restored sacred image bearers. Remind us of who it is that made us and sustains us. Who it is that created and who recreates. Who it is that is personally present even in chaos. Who it is that breathes into us the breath Life, who it is that invites us into the divine dance, who it is that rescues us, who it is we are, are called to worship, to trust with every fiber of our being. The one we're called to be in relationship with. This God. This God. This is God. This is us. May it be enough for us.